Good evening. Welcome to Element City Church. Thrilled to have you here. Those of you who are here in the room, we've got people checking in, their kids. Those of you joining us online, we are honored to have you tuning in with us and being a part of our experience, our worship together tonight. So if you are new, uh, and I met a couple people, if that's you, I would love to invite you to download our free app. Just go to the App Store, type in Element City Church, and you can connect there. And if you are new sometime last week or this week, we would love to connect with you. We have a new way of doing that. You could just type the word hello and text it to our new text number, which is 520-340-6868. And uh, there will be a link that comes. Tap that. Do a couple other texts. And then we're all connected. We'll be able to follow up with you. You'll be able to connect with us a little bit. And if you are new, I want to invite you to our 10-minute party, which will happen in the back right at the conclusion of the service. I would love the honor of just saying hi, kind of hearing your story a little bit, being able to welcome you to Elements. And so thanks to those of you who helped yesterday in our food distribution. Just a reminder with that, that we do that every second Saturday of the month. Uh, we have about three pallets of food that we give out to people who are passing by, people who show up and know about that. So we'd love to invite you to be a part of that as we serve our community and give back. Um, and then also this Wednesday, if you are luncheon, how many of you eat lunch? All of you, perfect. Okay, you all eat lunch. Uh, we're going to do kind of a virtual lunch. Uh, I'd love to hang out with you. So we'll hang out for just a few minutes this Wednesday. All the information is in the app and the link there for the Zoom link. And you can zoom in from wherever you are and we'll connect. Uh, we'll watch each other eat and it'll be weird. Uh, and it'll be fun. So um, we'd love to invite you with that. As we get started tonight, uh, we have been praying for the Church of the Week every single week. This week it is uh, Desert Valley Adventist Church and Pastor Jim there. And so I'd love to just pray a blessing over their church and our time together tonight. And again, if you're tuning in online or if you're here in the room, just thanks for investing your time. We're thrilled that uh, you made this a part of your investment here on Sunday night. And so let's pray. We'll pray for Desert Valley and for us together. So God, uh, we just come together as we pray every week for the Church of the Week. There's hundreds of churches that are across our city that are trying to reach a million plus people who are not connected into a faith community. And so we lift up Desert Valley Adventist Church to you and Pastor Jim. We're asking wisdom and discernment for him and for his leadership teams that are there, the people that are making that church go, and everything that they're after in the area of town that they're in. We pray that you would bless them, that you would expand their reach, expand their ability to impact the city around them and that, uh, that slice of the kingdom that you've given them to tend. And we pray for the minutes and the moments that will happen here in the next uh, little bit as we just worship you, as we look into your word, as we talk about this uh, Sermon on the Mount that Jesus, that you spent so much of your ministry time talking about and so much of this teaching that is, is hard to maybe even get our mind around and, and all the significance of what it means for us. And so would you just kind of whisper into our hearts and our experience with you this evening and pray your blessing over each one gathered here, those watching online, that you would make this a, a tailor-made experience for them that you would allow your spirit to weave in and out of hearts to minister to each one that's gathered and watching right now, we pray, uh, that you would be active in these moments to come, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Why don't you stand up where you're at? We speak your name, lift our eyes to our hearts and to your beat where we walk. 
Trim. 
ashes that fade are never enough Then you came along And put me back together And every desire is now satisfied
Every breath it is a gift Every moment is a treasure All my past and my regrets My present and my future Every table is a feast I'll fix my eyes upon you So I fix my eyes upon you I fix my eyes Oh praise, oh praise And heaven bent to meet us Father, Son, and Spirit Oh
still before you God what a beautiful beautiful truth to know that we are deeply loved and cared for by you and just like you have beautiful relationships with uh, within the Trinity the Father Son and the Spirit so we are born out of this love into this love every day Lord we are so deeply loved we just need to know this to regain our confidence, our full dependence on you and our trust in you. So tonight, Lord, may we find one more time who we are in you, Lord. May we be comforted in such a simple truth. And as we gain our confidence and our hope and our trust in you, Lord, make us new, restore our true identity, our values, Lord, who we are in you and through you we thank you for your presence God we thank you for you are always with us when we go to bed at night you are with us and when we wake up your spirit is still with us never you leave us you never abandon us for you is your spirit always within us in this holy temple inside of us so Lord, tonight we give it all to you. We come empty-handed before you. For some of us, Lord, we have nothing else to give. Would you come, Lord? Would you transform our hearts, our hearts, our minds? Would you make us new in you? So we love you. We give you worship. And we pray all these things in your beautiful and precious and holy name, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those words are the beginning of, I think, Jesus' most famous sermon that he would have given multiple times in multiple settings. But in this particular setting, uh, what you have to picture yourself is on the side uh, of kind of a slope that's looking down on the Sea of Galilee. And this is the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus would have climbed these hills. They're beautiful. If you've ever had a chance to go to Israel, there's a place that kind of marks this site now, and, and we got to visit there, and it's kind of rolling down into the Sea of Galilee. It's kind of up on this hillside, and it's overlooking just the vegetation alone. It's just, it's a gorgeous, kind of beautiful spot around there. 
And the text says in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5 through 7 is really the Sermon on the Mount uh, that you can read that the Gospel of Matthew captures for us. In fact, Matthew captures five different discourses that we see in the teachings of Jesus and interspersed to kind of the narratives of his healings and, and what happens in that. But he, he's capturing this because he's writing this Gospel account to the, to the Jewish people to help them understand that he really is the Messiah, the one they've been waiting for, the one that the Old Testament has kind of been pointing to and that Jesus is the real deal, so to speak. And, and so Matthew's wanting us to understand this, but again, this is a sermon that Jesus would have told many, many times, traveling around as a traveling rabbi teacher, and, and in this is this beautiful poetic language that speaks to something greater. It's actually, I think, one of the most uh, heard teachings of Jesus, but maybe one of the least understood teachings of Jesus. And there's a, a complex nature of this. Is it, is it nuanced? Is it specific? Is it clear? And, and so there's this uh, reality that goes around it. And when even the first line, what you hear, begins to kind of push back against the narrative of their day, their narrative of their day was much like the narrative of our day that, that says that, well, surely the, the blessed ones are the ones that, that have everything. The, the blessed ones are the ones who, uh, that obviously that's a sign of God's favor, isn't it? That his blessing would be upon you. Blessed are the poor in spirit, really, Jesus? Is that really what you're going for? Is, is that where real happiness or blessedness comes from? I mean, aren't we told that it's, it's in order to have a happy life, a blessed life, then you got to crave the comforts and the luxuries around. And so even out of the gate of these beatitudes that actually set up the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is really kind of the how-tos, kind of this uh, this kingdom values of how does that impact you as a, as a follower of Jesus. But it's set up with this understanding that Jesus is overlooking this crowd. He's teaching his disciples and he's looking at this crowd of people who have probably, more than likely, felt like they would never amount to the place where God's blessing would be upon them. Because that's for the Pharisees. That, that's for the religious people. That's for the ones who feel like they, they've got it marked out and they're charging forward and, and we're just the common folk. And yet what Jesus is looking out on the crowd and he says, blessed are you for the kingdom of heaven is here. And he's announcing, this is coming off of his baptism and the 40-day temptation of, with Satan. And then now he's charging into his ministry years. And this is kind of the, the, the epitome of what he's announcing and proclaiming, that the kingdom of God is here. Now, we understand that happiness, well, maybe that's not found in the poor in spirit. The happiness is going to be from, like, attaining something, like getting the luxuries and the comforts of life. That's where truly happiness, happiness is in our culture. At least that's the narrative that's kind of told out there. In fact, we're the land of the American dream, right? We're entitled to happiness. It's written into the DNA of our culture, the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, and among them is life, liberty, and what? The pursuit of happiness. Well, surely, then the good life, the pursuit of happiness, is something that we can go after and attain, but the reality is the longer you live, you probably get to the place where you realize that chasing happiness is like chasing shadows. You go on an epic vacation, right? And, and it's happiness, all wrapped up in a trip. And yet before you even get home, it's like slipping through your fingers. And what's next? 
And it seems like the narrative of our culture, what's pushed to us is you've got to pursue happiness and attain it. And I wonder if Jesus is pushing back to me, to you. In the Beatitudes that were whispered thousands of years ago, and yet still speak to us even now in our moment. Uh, <clears throat> Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. It's contained in this teaching, Jesus' teaching, on what it means to find godly happiness. And what it is to live a God-lived life. And that this God life is actually better than what the world tries to push with the good life that it promotes. It's probably one of the best knowns. It's kind of this Christian value system that he's articulating. This God's kingdom kind of ethic at work. And here's the standard of it. And it will push back and always probably be at odds with what humanity and what the culture of humanity and what the non-Christian world begins to push and promote. In fact, these Beatitudes, there's eight of them. The Beatitudes set forth the blessings of God that he gives to those that he's at work in. Blessings not for reward for our merits and our work and our effort, but blessing that comes as a pure gift from him. It's like Jesus is announcing the kingdom of God, the rule of God, the reign of God, and how God wants things to work, it's here. And you're all invited into it. And you may have bought into the narrative that the good life or the happy life is this kind of pursuit, but what you have to understand is that the kingdom of God, that's where the, the good life, the real good life, and the real happiness in life is found, and it's actually here at the threshold, knocking on the door of your heart. And Jesus is translating, and he's wanting people to understand that happiness is subjective. It's a subjective state, whereas Jesus is saying this is an objective judgment reality, that the kingdom of God pushes this, declaring that it's not happiness based on circumstances, but you become blessed simply because God's grace has burst into your life. See, the Beatitudes describe the attitudes that ought to be in the believer's life. Those who say yes to following after Jesus, these are the attitudes that should be a part of your life and your living. It would be well for us to note that these are be attitudes, not do attitudes. These are kind of who we're to become and how God is shaping us. I love what Dallas Willard says this, the Beatitudes simply cannot be good news if they are understood as a set of how-tos for achieving the blessed life or blessedness. They would only amount to a new legalism. They would impose a new brand of Phariseeism, a new way of closing the door on keeping people out or some new possibilities for human engineering of our own righteousness. What Jesus is announcing is not here's something you go do. Here's, here's God's blessing over you and therefore who you become. It's about your identity. The Beatitudes is like Jesus is taking a blank canvas and it begins to paint a portrait of, of a different way to live where somehow we're kind of transported into a different way of living. Anyone ever uh, found themselves uh, coming out of an epic movie, maybe you've watched at home over the last year or so, or prior to that where you would go to like see all the Harry Potter movies or the Lord of the Rings, or you'd see all the Marvel movies, and you found yourself almost your imagination captured up in those movies, and it was like you were in them even though the allure of popcorn allowed you to realize that you were actually still in your seat, but you were kind of captivated and caught up into them. And, and as Jesus is painting these beatitudes and going through the Sermon on the Mount, in, in reality, 
He's painting a, a picture of, of what it means for heaven to invade earth. The, the Greek term, the New Testament term for blessed is makaros, and it means for us to be in a state of continual happiness. It isn't based on circumstances. It refers to the highest type of well-being that's possible for humanity. It's taking like the whole concept of shalom and the peace of God being over you and this blessing of God being over you. And Jesus is saying that the blessed life is for you and for me and for anyone who would recognize that it's at the threshold and for them to begin to have a shaped posture that would receive it and accept it. I'm putting this for kind of our series takeaway the next eight weeks as we kind of dive through this, that the pursuit of the good life that this world says, seek after this, will ultimately always let you down. But the pursuit of the God life will lead to real joy and to true blessing in life, no matter the circumstances that you find yourself in. And so Matthew captures for us. Verse 1, chapter 5. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside, he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who do not approach life with the confidence solely in themselves or a reliance on their own gifts and their own talents, sure that they alone are competent to meet all of life's challenges. No, no. Blessed instead are those who approach life instead of a self-based confidence. They live in seeking God based confidence, and they put their confidence there. They are the blessed ones. They approach life humbly and with a full reliance on Christ. This is what Jesus is announcing, that in this moment, in this sermon, and ultimately in his life, in his death, and his resurrection, is that the kingdom of God, the rule of God, the reign of God, the way things should work, the way God wants his people to be is here. Will you open your life to them? The poor in the spirit acknowledge their spiritual bankruptcy before God. Blessed are the poor in spirit who recognize that they're spiritually bankrupt without him. And that doesn't play all that nice in our cultural context because we like to think we can achieve things and we like to pursue after things. But see, the poor in the Old Testament understood that they were afflicted and unable to save themselves. And so, therefore, they would look to God for their salvation while recognizing they had no claim upon him to demand anything. See, being poor in the spirit means that you are spiritual, uh, you see your spiritual bankruptcy so that you can make room for the treasures of Christ and all he has to offer. It's learning to walk in humility and never letting pride be what calls the shots in your life. See, the problem with pride is that even our good actions are often tainted by our own self-righteousness or our own self-reliance. It's often things can go sideways with us. You think of times, have you ever... um, have you ever done something motivated out of your own pride and had it backfire? Three of us, perfect. Um, and so my, the rest of you, I bet you would admit over time that you've done some things in your own pride where you've said and done or acted in a way and only in hindsight to go, man, that was really dumb and really foolish and I, you know, I just 
I ate my shoelace in that, right? Or that experience happened to you, and that happens all the time because pride masks all these things. It pushes us to be confident and relying upon ourselves instead of a posture of reliance upon Christ. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. This Greek word for poor is this commonly used to describe a beggar who's dependent on their provider, as someone outside of them to provide for them. In the Old Testament, the word implied that, God, we're pinning all of our hope on you. And that's what Jesus is introducing. Pin all your hope on me. And, and, and the treasures that I bring will fill your bank vault of your heart beyond anything you can imagine and beyond anything you could try to achieve on your own. He's saying, happy are the beggars. They will be satisfied. Uh, An 18th century hymn has this line, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. It's this profound beauty that happy are the beggars for they are the ones who will receive the unending love and grace and hope of Christ. This is what Paul writes, 2 Corinthians. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though, though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Not rich in something you create. It's richness in an understanding of the gift of God. It's coming to a place of a posture that says, Jesus, I need you. Not I want you, but I need you. There's a desperation behind it that pulls us to say, I, I absolutely hinge everything I have on you. It's why Jesus teaches his disciples in John 15. Remember these words? Remain in me, I'll remain in you. For a branch can't produce fruit off if it's ever severed from the vine. You cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me, I and them, they'll produce much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. And, and we don't like that. We don't like that part. Apart from you, I can do nothing? I like, you know... Ever since we're a little kid, right? It's like we're working on trying to attain more freedom and more opportunity and more responsibility and more abilities to do things. And so when Jesus makes this statement, there's a part of us that pushes back again, especially as Americans. We push back and say, no, 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 I can do things. I have abilities. I have responsibilities. I, I can, I, I'm better now than I was five years ago. And so we continue to push and continue to pull and move our way forward. And yet, what Jesus is introducing is this reality. Sure, you can do that. But it doesn't mean the kingdom of heaven is going to be open to you. That the rule and the reign of God is open to those who recognize their need for him. Not the ones who think they can work their way to it or bring the kingdom of God themselves to bear and to rule. Jesus, early on in a sermon in Luke chapter 4, he's handed the, the scroll of Isaiah to read. And he opens and unrolls the scroll to this particular point. You might remember this. He's back in his hometown and he reads these words. The spirit of the Lord is on me, he says. He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release of the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set free the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
Jesus rolls up the scroll. He goes and sits down. He says, today in your listening, these words have been fulfilled. Meaning, it's here. What this just said to those who recognize their blindness and recognize their poverty and recognize that they're oppressed in a way that they cannot release themselves from, those who have ears to hear and eyes to see, this is being fulfilled in your sight and in your earshot. Do you see it? That's what Jesus is saying, that the kingdom of God is for those who recognize they have a need. It's recognizing. See, the year of Jubilee, if you don't know, is every 50 years in Israel's time period, uh, everyone would have all of their debts forgiven every 50 years. That's a pretty sweet gig, right? Uh, if you're an American, you understand school debt. How many of you got some school debt, right? How many of you got some credit card debt? How many of you got some, like, mortgage debt, right? You got some things going on. If someone were to write all of that off and pay off everything for you, wouldn't you be delighted? Wouldn't you be like just whisked away into pure delight? Like what? I don't have to carry that burden anymore. And in essence, what Jesus is saying is, listen, you have a spiritual debt that you may not have even realized you had. And it's astronomical. In fact, it's, it's put you into a spiritual poverty that you will never, ever, ever escape from. But I'm here now. And I'm here to declare the ultimate year of Jubilee. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what he's alluring to here in the Beatitudes and in so many other places in Scripture. See, like most Americans, we understand this, but Jesus is saying, listen, all your debt, your spiritual debt, what you're indebted to, to a righteous and holy God, I will make a way for the freedom to flood your life if you will recognize that you need it. And not that you can find a way around it, not that you just, okay, that'd be a nice thing to want, but that you recognize in desperation that you need me to act. I am that savior who's come to act. Colossians says, happy to those who let God pay off their sin debt. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. The psalmist, Psalm 32, says, How joyful is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered over. But see, for many of us, we feel a shame almost in recognizing or admitting our spiritual poverty. So uh, we go to work to try to pay it off or to work our way out of our spiritual debt on our own. And so we try to work really hard or attain and, and to try to appease God, to capture his attention. See, God, I'm over here. I'm working really hard for you. We don't like to admit our need. We like to be self-sufficient and self-reliant. And that's why pride is such a struggle in humanity and in every heart and in mind too. Yeah. Dr. Derwin Gray uh, wrote this, just as oil and water don't mix, God's grace and our pride do not mix. Pride keeps us blind to our need for God's grace. It keeps us self-reliant, resistant to God's grace. Only a heart emptied of pride can be filled with God's grace. We need God's grace. And it's coming to a place of recognizing and understanding that. And as we remember our spiritually poor condition. It keeps us dependent upon Jesus day in and day out. Remain in me and I remain in you. Apart from me, you can't 
live this life that I'm calling you to live, is what Jesus is saying. You need a, a desperation, a dependency upon me. And, and spiritually speaking, we have to understand that. And I think as we lean into that, it also kind of opens up our awareness to the reality of the marginalized and to those that are suffering in our world physically as well. And that throughout the scriptures we see that scriptures declare that when we bless the poor, we're blessing God. Proverbs 19, 17, kindness to the poor is a loan to the Lord, and he will give a reward to the lender. And that we don't turn a blind eye to those that are struggling not only in this spiritual poverty, but in the reality of being marginalized or suffering in some way, shape, or form. The, the book of James talks so much about how you live out your faith, right? And that living out your faith is that you don't show partiality to those that are the blessed ones according to our culture and neglect those who aren't blessed and overlook and miss them or to neglect their needs. It's what James writes, James 1:27, pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows at their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. That... If God recognizes our spiritual poverty, he recognizes the, the poor conditions of those that are battling and suffering and his heart is inclined to move and he wants his church's heart to move in the same direction. True worship is not merely what I say I believe, but how we love our neighbor, especially the most vulnerable and marginalized in our community. That's why we do Second Saturday Food Distributions to help people, to say you're, you're not just passed over. We see, we want to help, we want to respond. It's why we are involved in adopting a couple different schools and trying to respond in ways that we can all the time. And it's why we challenge you to do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Why? Because when you live that out and when we live that out, it makes a difference and it begins to put God's love further on display. Happy are those who understand their spiritual bankruptcy. For only then can the riches of Christ fill the bank vault of their heart with the love and God's kingdom rule within them. What's interesting is, do you ever think about the first recorded words of Jesus? I'll tell you what they are. Luke chapter 2. Remember, Jesus is back at the temple. His parents don't know it at the time. They've been traveling back to their homeland. And they realize Jesus is not in the caravan with them. And like every parent who's ever lost a kid, we've all done it, okay. Uh, and so this idea, you, you, this, you have to go searching for where did I misplace my child? Where did they kind of wander off to? And he runs back and they find him in the temple. And this is his first words. Saying to his mother, did you not know I had to be in my father's house. Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? Do you know the last words he says from the cross? Here they are. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Throughout the life of Jesus, Jesus, the son of God, and let me remind you, you are not him. I am not him. We're not even close. And yet, 13 times in the Gospel of John, Jesus is found saying and speaking of his desperation, of his need to be with the Father. I only say what I hear the Father telling me to say. I only do what I see the Father doing. 
And over and over this rhythm of his life of living in dependency upon his heavenly father. If Jesus needed that, how much more do I? See, not a want, but a need. A a spiritual understanding of my spiritual bankruptcy. See, unfortunately, being poor in the spirit does not come easy to humans. We don't like to admit that we need anybody. It only takes a couple years for kids ages two to three to begin to say, I can do it! And we spend the rest of our life screaming that. Trying to pretend that we can. Trying to prove everyone wrong. I can do it. See, self-reliance is the signature sin of the human race. It's what Adam and Eve whispered. God, I know you said this, but I got it. I can do it my way. I got it. I'll take it from here. Friends, that is the posture that our culture pushes. But it's not the posture that Jesus is introducing here, that he looks for and he longs to see in his followers. Admitting that we're needy or dependent does not come easy to the human race. It certainly does not come easy to well-fed, well-educated, upwardly mobile Americans. Speaking to myself. Self-improvement is a billion-dollar industry in our culture, isn't it? I don't have to tell you that. You know that. Poor in spirit doesn't play well in the corporate world or in the athletic field or in the political arena or in the living rooms of the homes across our land. Being needy, independent, and desperate is about the last thing in the world we want to be. But until we are, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven will elude you and you'll miss it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is yours. Will you recognize it, that you need him? So here's how we want to end tonight as we get ready to go back into another worship song. Um, I want to invite you, if you have a a smartphone, to actually take it out and and open it up and and don't play tic-tac-toe or anything, but open it up to like a brand new note, right? See, often in the church, we can disperse information and we can kind of tell you things. But what we want to do in this series and and really in the life of just Element City Church, we want to help us grow and own things in our own faith. That you might come here and and Lyle and I might teach some things and and, and I hope that you're blessed by it. But our, our real prayer is that the Spirit of God is moving in your heart and showing you, tugging on you, nudging your heart in a few things. And so here's what I want you to do real simply, is just open up a new note on your phone, and maybe from here on out, uh, just make a mental note of each Sunday. Here's the simple question. What's the one thing God's nudging your heart tonight? What's he showing you? It could have been a line that stood out to you, but it may be something that you didn't even hear me say. So we want to actually create a moment, just a minute, 
I've given you space, and at home you can do this as well. Open up your phone, take out a note, and just pray. Spend the next 60 seconds just pausing. It's so easy for us to just, okay, entertain me, feed me, do things, and then we move on, and, and we miss maybe what God was up to because we forget about it. And, and so for the next 60 seconds, we're just creating space for you to pray and simply ask, God, what's the one thing that you want me to hold on to? Why is that coming up? Why are you stirring that in my heart? What's the aggravation that you've stirred up in me? What's the frustration? What's the beauty? And so, Father, that's what we're asking for, is that in this next 60 seconds, you'd speak to each one here, each one watching online. As we create space for you to move, Holy Spirit. What's your takeaway from tonight? Think about it. Lean into that. Write it down. Father, I know for me, it's easy for me to want you. It's more challenging to admit to myself that I desperately need you. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is yours. So Jesus, would you move in this next song? Would you continue to move in our midst? Help us to write down and anchor ourselves to what you're doing in our hearts even now. Oh, I'm waking up. 
Yes, I'm telling you thank you. I'm telling you thank you. Father, we thank you for this incredible, undeserved, unbelievable reality that we in our deepest need you didn't send instructions about how to for us to make our way to you you made your way to us and said the need is too great for you to get to me so I'll come to you blessed are the spiritually bankrupt for their heart can be filled with the treasures of Christ May we be a people who live in a desperate need for you and a continual joy of the gift that you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being a part and gathering with us tonight. I want to update you on a couple different things. If you want to sit, you can. It'll be short. Um, But just thank you to all of you who partner with us financially as a church. As you give here, we do giving a little bit different. We don't pass a plate. We've got boxes in the back. Most folks give online through the app or so, and you can be part of that, either if you're online at home or here. And uh, one of the things I want to update you on is Justin, who is a part of our Elements family. And I think we have a picture here. Uh, He is leading a team of 18 to 20 year olds. They just left Ecuador last week making their way to Guatemala and he's leading that team and we're so proud of him and we're, uh, guys, I wish you knew uh, where, where Justin was four or five years ago to where he is now and what God's been doing in his life is an amazing testimony and you'll get to hear it someday but I got to FaceTime with him uh, a couple weeks ago and we got to be a a part of thanks to your generosity of just continuing to fund him and support him in that he'll be back here the end of May and I think if you go to Justin Siebert's Facebook page you can actually get to his blog that he's updating with if you want to be a financial partner with him too as he's finishing that up, uh, you feel free to to do that. We'd love to uh, invite us to continue to champion and cheer for him. He'll be back here at the end of May. We'll give you an update. He'll give you a little bit of sharing stories of what God did. Uh, Second thing is just, uh, we are really excited here. April 25th, Uh, which is a Sunday night, immediately following the service, uh, we want to do a special ceremony and ordination of Lyle uh, and ordaining him to the pastoral ministry. And so we are going to do that as a whole team and as a whole family. And so we invite you to stick around for that. It'll be about a 15, 20-minute thing. So you can clap for that. That is a big deal. And uh, we're excited to have Lyle on uh, the team. I'm excited to have Lyle on the team and for us to kind of pastor and shepherd and lead this church forward together. And with that, part of his role is leading our college ministry, which we are just starting here April 20th. And so if you're in college, 18 to 24, 25, we would love to invite you to see Lyle. He'll tell you all more about that. But April 20th, it's a Tuesday night, 6.30, right here on campus. We'll get that rolling. And it's kind of the 
on-ramp for that as we move toward really getting that launched in the fall. And so we're beginning to test drive that, and uh, Lyle will be leading that with the team. And so glad uh, to, to kind of get that rolling and continue to be a part of e-groups, discipleship groups. If you are new, I would love to personally meet you back at the 10-minute party. And we've got the best kettle corn this side of the Grand Canyon just for you for showing up there. So uh, why don't you stand? I'll pray us out, and uh, we will... Uh, Call it a great night together. Be back here next week. So, Father, may your blessing rest upon these gathered here, these watching online. May your presence be with them this week and the decisions that they face. May you give them the wisdom and insight they need. May you, may you make yourself known in a way that they would see you meeting each and every need that they have. And they would recognize a growing dependency upon you and that you would bless them with that, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Blessings, friends. We'll see you next week.